0: Welcome back to Salt Lime Storytime, the podcast where we tell you stories worth telling over drinks. I am the fabulous Miss Jess Kanani, and I'm joined today by my temperate co-host Allison. Mm-hmm. Does that mean I like have an even temper? Yeah. It's also, you know, a play on what we're talking about today. This is the, true. The temperance movement, one could say. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. <laughs> well done. That's a good one. <laughs> uh, I thought. I thought I'd. I thought I'd try. I thought I'd try it out. <laughs> oh, of course, I-, I
1: liked it. It was great. Uh, hi, Jess. Happy to be here. I can't wait. I am very excited for this week's topic. I think we both have amazing stories. I don't know what yours is yet, but I think you'll like
0: mine. But first, I would like to hear how your week has been. It's been lovely. I had a lovely weekend. I'm going to be really honest. I, if okay. You had a, if other people listening to this had a bad weekend, I'm really sorry if this feels like I'm rubbing it in your face, but I had like one of the best weekends I've had in a long time. Nice. I spent a lot of quality time together. I got to have brunch, which is one of my most favorite activities. It snowed in Salt Lake, so it was really pretty, and like the aver- inversion was gone, but like not enough snow that it was like awful to drive. It was like that perfect middle ground. You know what I mean? hmm Um... I took a nap, which any weekend that I get to take a nap is a good weekend for me. So, anyway. Oh, and more, most importantly, I went to a Marie Antoinette-themed birthday party. So I got to dress up in faux... Have you ever seen the movie Marie Antoinette? No, but I can picture okay. the... Yeah. It was a lot of pink. I got yes. to uh, wear purple mascara. I got to, you know wear pink dresses, and put fake pearls in my hair. It was great. It was everything that I love about being a woman. So, Good. Um, it was a lovely weekend. And uh, I don't really remember much of what I did this work week, so must have been boring. But, um, Allison, how about you? How was your week? It was fine. It
1: was mostly just working. Mm-hmm. Uh, yesterday, I had the urge, the calling, to watch one of my all-time favorite movies, Hoodwinked. Amazing. <laughs> and it's It's just so funny. Anyway, I really wanted to watch it, and my mom was like, hey, I'll watch it with you. So we, like, laid down. Like, we watched a movie, and, like, we were just laughing, and then we were like, you know what movie we haven't seen in a while? Over the Hedge, because that's a film that was, like, random. Like, we were thinking about the scene where the squirrel is, like, running so fast, everything's in slow motion. And so we're like, hey, yeah, let's watch that next. So we rent it, and we watch it next. And by the end, we were both so depressed. It was so much more sad than I remember it being. It's all about this mass deforestation. These animals waking up from hibernation, having to steal food from humans who are trying to kill them with exterminators and traps. And I was literally like, what the fuck? This is so depressing. They have custom songs in it. And one of them was literally about like, being in suburbia where they, like, will kill you for being there, but then they'll turn on cricket sounds at night or something like that. I can't remember exactly what it said, but it was, like, just the most depressing, most real thing. And there were, like, four times where it was funny. Like, I remembered it, and the rest of the time I just wanted to die. So, Oh, my gosh. Yeah, so it totally ruined the vibe. And so after that, I immediately started Emperor's New Groove. Mm -hmm. Watch that through, because, like, I know that's... Probably has been one of my favorite movies for my entire life. So that was up there. I knew what was coming. I was like, Mm -hmm. you know what? Let's just do that. Mm -hmm. So I watched these three movies back to back to back because Over the Hedge ruined the vibe. And then Emperor's New Groove brought it back. So yeah.
0: Incredible. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. I, it's been a long time since I've seen Over the Hedge. Over the Hedge is one of the few DVDs my grandparents had when I was a small child um, down in good old southern Utah. So I've seen that movie a lot, but I really, right now, I'm trying to think, and I have very little memory of it. Other than there's, like, isn't there, like, a sexy skunk in it? Oh, yeah, they don't show up <laughs> as a cat. That was pretty funny. Okay. Yeah,
1: the skunk's great. She's, like, the comic relief, you yeah. know? The rest of it is, like, just messed up. And mm-hmm. once you're mm-hmm. at an age where you can understand the true meaning behind that film it feels real bad so oh gosh. anyway so watch it if you want but just know you'll feel bad at the end and if anybody else our listeners watch it who haven't seen it forever let me know what you think because I want to know if I was just being dramatic or if it
0: actually was just like a big buzzkill Oh, my gosh. Oh, no. Well, I'm glad that you got to watch Emory's New Groove and Hoodwinked. So, at least it was like a vibe killer sandwich more instead of oh, like, yeah. you know. Um, But that sounds like some good quality time with your mother. Yeah, it was so, still an iconic evening. I'm glad we yeah, did it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, in keeping with our theme of Not So Dry January, Allison, are you drinking anything this evening? Jess,
1: I am drinking A crisp glass of lemonade, and I will tell you why. Because after researching this woman, it just didn't feel right. It just didn't feel right (laughs) to have an alcoholic beverage in my hand. So I am doing her justice. I am changing my ways for just a single evening. Amazing. And
0: I'm having lemonade as I tell you this story. What about you? I, in the same spirit, am also drinking something a non-alcoholic gin and tonic i recently followed several tiktokers that do cayenne mocktail recipes Mm. and we have some bespoke bitters that brendan got for his birthday two years ago that i'm using to like mimic the bitterness of alcohol without having alcohol but i did a gin and tonic also in honor of who i will be talking about today but i am currently trying not to drink too too much so this is my Ode to the prohibition, shall we say. Good. Good for us. Look at us go. I know. So, with that being said, should we get into it? Yeah. Yeah. Jess, you had a little uh, synopsis of prohibition Mm -hmm. and temperance, Mm -hmm. just Mm -hmm. to remind people. Absolutely. So, in keeping with the spirit of our not-so-dry January theme, this week, Allison and I We'll be telling each other about two iconic stories involving the United States 13-year prohibition in the early 20th century. For those of you at home who don't remember every little thing your AP U.S. history taught you, here is a quick refresher on the prohibition, one could say. So, Allison, if you have any thoughts that you remember from your AP history cl- class, you feel free to jump in. But Gotcha. The prohibition movement began in the mid-1800s as an attempt to criminalize producing and consuming any form of alcohol in the United States that was not medicinal. Maine, those crazy northern friends, were the (laughs) first to institute a statewide prohibition law in 1846, and 20 or so years later, in 1869, the National Prohibition Party was formally established. Their goal? A federal ban on all liquor consumption. So as the Gilded Age came to a close, social reformation groups banded together under the banner of prohibition as a way to decrease poverty, familial dysfunction, criminal behaviors, and political corruption. Seems like a fair goal. It's fair. It's fair. Yeah. maybe not the right path, but it's fair. Yeah. Um, So by the tail end of World War I, 26 states had temperance laws, and groups like the Women's Christian Temperance Union and the Anti-Saloon League were pushing Congress for a national ban. Both groups sound like nightmare blood rotations, I'm going to be honest, but, you know, they were doing yes. the most. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, so on January 16th, 1919, the 18th Amendment was passed and thus began, quote, a great social and economic experiment, as President Herbert Hoover described it. For 13 long years, the United States was plunged into alcoholic chaos. Bootleggers and mobsters like Al Capone and his $60 million booze industry ran rampant up and down the Mississippi. Speakeasies sprung up in every nook and cranny they could, and many people died from the unsanitary, quote, bathtub moonshine passing... (laughs) I know, so gross. So gross. Toilet Um, wine. Toilet wine, truly. (laughs) I I would never try that. (laughs) So, over... 3,000 federal agents were employed to hunt down illegal liquor activities. In New York alone, famous investigators Izzy Einstein and Mo Smith, also great band name. Great True. band name. Oh, my God. Izzy, Izzy Einstein, Einstein and, and Moe Smith. That's great. Fabulous. Between the two of them, they conducted 5,000 arrests. It's estimated Damn. that... In Chicago alone, they had 7,000 arrests, but only 17 known convictions because that's how deep the mobsters' payoff lines ran. Isn't that crazy? That's insane. (laughs) So finally, in December 1933, after more than a decade of protests and increased crime rates, Congress ratified the 21st Amendment to repeal the 18th and end the Prohibition era. It passed the power onto the states to decide if they would remain dry or not. Mississippi stayed a dry state until 1966, 33 years after the repeal. It's estimated that prohibition cost the country $11 billion in today's money oh. in tax revenue and $300 million in enforcement costs. Oh, shit. End scene. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. They came from a good place, yes. I think, with
1: that. Yeah. Uh...
0: If their goal was to help with poverty, I feel like just investing that $11 billion equivalent into, you know, what they'd go on to do in the New Deal might have been a little bit better. But you live and you learn. Sure, sure, sure. And honestly, out of, like, the substances that are
1: illegal, like, let's just say weed. Alcohol deserves to be illegal way more than weed (laughs) and some other things. It is not great. So, like, I get it. It's yeah. but it, it's it's only bad for you and it just leads to depression and sad mm-hmm. times and mm-hmm. accidents but so I get it it's poison yeah. but I mean it, it's you know kind of fun so what can you do? Oh my god.
0: Try it out for 13 years and fail. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly what they did so that's a good Ooh. point. Any horror. Now that our friends at home have a refresher, Allison, you're going first this week. Tell me what you got. I just i for i want to just do like a quick little shout out
1: to drunk history because ironically i i heard this story first on drunk history which is just the best yeah i am going to tell you a story it's a pre-prohibition but it's in the temperance movement and which was like led up to prohibition and this is honestly one of the mothers of prohibition I got a lot of my information from a Slate.com article um, called Hatchet Nation by Mark Lawrence Shrad. I just wanted to give that specific one a shout out because it was also extraordinarily written and it goes way deep into like her past and everything. So if you guys want to learn more about her, I recommend looking up that Slate.com article anyway. So just Amazing. wanted to say that. I'm going to tell you about Carrie A. Nation. Okay. Her actual name is Carrie right. Amelia Nation, Carrie-a-Nation. Bitch was born. Anyway, okay, I'm getting ahead of myself. Okay. Oh? She was, like, born to do this. Anyway. <laughs> so today I will tell you the story of Carrie Amelia Nation, the woman largely responsible for the temperance movement right before Prohibition. Okay, I want to say, first and foremost, she was an advocate for minorities and a true feminist, but she is best known for hating boo so much – That she would go to around the taverns and destroy everything inside with a hatchet. I know, Queen, and (laughs) thus came the coolest nickname ever, Hatchet Granny. So I'm going to tell you about Hatchet Granny. So, please, (laughs) Carrie was born uh, November 25th, 1846. So she's a fellow Sagittarius for you. Shout out, Sag Queen. Her father, George, was a farmer and a slave owner, so not great, Uh, and her mother, Mary, unfortunately suffered from severe untreated mental illness and delusions that she was Queen Victoria. The family, Carrie and her five siblings, moved several times throughout Kentucky, then eventually moved to Missouri in 1854. It is speculated that the family moved so much because rumors of Mary's mental state would eventually spread around town and mental illness just was not something that was understood in the 1850s. So I I can't even imagine trying to care for somebody with
0: that severe.
1: Oh, I just... And just being shunned. Anyway, it must have been a horrible life. Yeah. So Mary believed that her children should be raised by their slaves. Which is a very interesting take, but like completely raised by them. She thought that was the best way to bring up children. I don't have any more information than that. All right. But honestly, I think that was a good call and you'll see why. So Carrie grew close to one slave in particular, a woman named Aunt Eliza. So Carrie was not allowed to eat at the dinner table with her family until she was older, so she ate her meals with the slaves. She also slept in slave quarters, worshipped with them, and even attended their secret meetings about white tyranny. Oh, my gosh. So she was in it, and they yeah. trusted her. Like, that's how Holy shit. close she was with them. So Carrie recalls that she was, quote, imbibbed, some of, imbibed." that's a word, imbibed imbibed i-m-b-i-b-e-d imbibed yeah that would be imbibed i think all right well listen it's obviously a word that died with her <laughs> and i never have to say it again for the rest of my life but clearly it means that like it, it stuck with her so anyway yeah. carrier recalls that she quote imbibed some of their superstitions end quote as well as their loud expressiveness in church So I truly believe that being raised in this manner turned Carrie into the warrior for advocacy that she became. So, Mm -hmm. okay. When Carrie was 21, she married a man named Charles Gloyd. Her parents did not approve of him because they suspected he was an alcoholic. Blinded by her love, she married him anyway. And a year later, they had a daughter named Charlene, who was unfortunately born with a mental disability. Mm Mm-hmm. Carrie's husband was indeed a heavy drinker, and Carrie believed her daughter's mental illness was because of his drinking. She took Charlene, and they left him. Just a few months later, Charles drank himself to death, and this oh destroyed Carrie. Just broke her heart, and it sparked an egregious hatred for alcohol. Yeah, naturally, so, as it would. Oh yeah, a hundred percent. Like she loved him so much. Her daughter's name is spelled C H A R L I E N after Charles after her father. Oh, oh anyway, that's heartbreaking. I know. It Oh my yeah. God. Yeah. So a few years later, Carrie remarried a man nineteen years her senior named huh? David Nation, who was an attorney, a minister, and a journalist. So David also had a daughter named Lola from a previous marriage. And together the family purchased a successful hotel in Medicine Lodge, Kansas. And Carrie ran this hotel while her husband began preaching at a local church. So, sorry, he was running a hotel and a preacher? So the family, Carrie and him and their kids, they bought and owned and ran a hotel. And that was mostly okay. Carrie's job. And then they had employees. And then, like, he was was a preacher. Also, I gotcha. Okay, cool. At a local cool. church, probably only a few days a week or something. But amazing. Sure, it made him a super understanding nice man. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway... Carrie not only ran this hotel, she also cared for her mentally disabled daughter and mentally ill mother. Carrie and her husband David bickered constantly about religion and Carrie's unbending will to help people in need, even if it inconvenienced him. She would care for the sick, mentally ill, and poor, and even welcomed in Black people just as warmly as anybody else. 1800s. 1800s. She also hired Black people and gave them free housing while they worked for her at the hotel. Oh, my gosh. Her husband loathed this. So I'm going to get to the alcohol part, but I just needed to... Here are a few more examples of her kindness because she was just a humanitarian through and through. So Carrie got... Okay. So Carrie got local shopkeepers to donate food and clothes by threatening to publicly denounce them as thieving gougers of widows and orphans. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Oh, my God. She really was like, listen, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to cancel you all if you don't do the right
1: thing. Yeah. Which is so funny and iconic. Like she like she was a kind of a bitch, but like she had such good intentions and she was so she did such good things. Like she just didn't care. That's the issue. She just didn't care. And I guess that's not an issue. So anyway, totally just threatened them to, like, ruin their lives and their uh, dignity if they didn't donate food and clothes. So she also volunteered at the jail and brought inmates comfort, consolation, and the promise of heavenly salvation. To each inmate, she'd ask, what was the cause of your misery and woe? One man answered, drink carrie did not view drinking as a sin or the drinker as a sinner instead the drinker was the victim to be forgiven loved and nurtured the true sinner was the drink seller this is key so she wasn't the whole love the sinner hate the sin she Mm -hmm. was like love the sinner and the real sinner is the person at the top is the man Basically, all right. So, all right. so she was like Christian, as she was so Christian, but she was like so woke anyway, yeah. like oh, just truly like centuries before her time. And here's the thing, Carrie. She also fought for women's rights because why wouldn't she? Mm-hmm, she refused mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. wear a corset um, and <gasps> urged women not to wear them because of their harmful effects on vital organs. Fair Queen. Fair. She also fought for the right to vote, and of course. She shut down slut shaming. (gasps) Oh my gosh. I know. I like might get emotional like several times throughout this because I love this woman so much. Okay, so (laughs) (laughs) Carrie was expelled from not one but two churches for speaking her mind. Oh, my God. (laughs) The preacher. Oh, this is so good. The preacher at the Medicine Lodge Christian Church denounced Carrie's neighbor as an adulteress in the middle of services based on nothing but the word of the woman's alcoholic husband. Okay. Carrie, Carrie lost it. Oh, <laughs> she launched up out of her seat and shouted down the unjust allegation and called the preacher out in front of the entire congregation. Oh my god! Okay,
0: wait. Okay, is there a point where you're gonna send me a picture of her, or am I allowed to look up a picture of her?
1: Yeah, I'll send you one. Okay. Yes. Oh, yeah. Don't look it up yet, because there's one that I just
0: is iconic. But I okay. Oh, she has one in that one too. I would just love to be able to envision, because right mm-hmm. now I'm envisioning her as your mom, Carrie. But <laughs> um, this Carrie looks much more uh grumpy.
1: Like, okay, yeah, here I have one that doesn't spoil the fun surprise. Here we go. Okay, um, she looks like Professor McGonagall. Oh my
0: god! Oh my god! <laughs> That is exactly what I wanted this person to look like.
1: Yes, I know. Isn't it perfect? Like, she just looks like she does not care. Like, she looks like somebody who's speaking her mind. You know what
0: I mean? That is incredible. Thank you so much for that. Thank you. Of course.
1: So she called out this priest in front of the entire preacher in front of the entire congregation. And church elders tried and failed to drag her from the pews. I think she was, like, a little over five foot tall. Some sources incredible. said she was, like, six feet tall and that she was super strong. But she was really just, like, a short, small woman mm-hmm. with the fire of a thousand demons in her belly. Not Maybe not demons isn't the right word. With the with the strength of a thousand fires or
0: something. What's a good word for that? With the... <sighs> with the will of a thousand suns? I don't know.
1: <laughs> yeah. Anyway, you get um, it. They, yeah. she, uh, she was just very, very... With the feistiness of 100 feral cats. That's oh, it. Oh, perfect. Yep. Okay. Yep. So they expelled her forever, even though they, were, they weren't they were able to physically throw her out, but they did expel her from the parish forever and she couldn't go back. Okay. So now onto the temperance movement. And temperance, just for those of you that might not know, just means no drinking or withholding the urge to drink and just stopping it. Cold turkey, kind of. It's like chastity for alcohol. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> And the chastity belt is Carrie. (laughs) So (laughs) Carrie herself had seen the effects of alcoholism on her own life and others, especially women who were often beaten by their drunken husbands. So she realized that most often the victims of drinking were women and children. And also she didn't want to keep seeing people's sons drink their lives away. So she finally turned her attention to promoting temperance in 1874. At the age of 28, Carrie founded the Women's Christian Temperance Union.
0: Oh, so what I referenced was her. Yeah,
1: bitch founded it. She, okay, she founded it. How many more times can I say that? Okay. So. They would all go around convincing people not to drink through speeches and sermons. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, Her and mm -hmm. her followers would also kneel and pray in front of saloons and men's clubs, which women weren't allowed in bars, saloons, or men's clubs or anything. So they would just, like, stand outside and pray and, you know, thoughts and prayers. That was Um, incredible. So Carrie would... (laughs) so, So she would casually greet, like, bartenders and saloon owners with the phrase... Good morning, destroyer of men's souls.
0: <gasps> Icon. <laughs> Read them. Yes, bitch. I take it uh, back. I'd smoke weed with her, even though I don't think she'd want to, but like.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. She. Uh, I'd share a blunt. I would.
1: I would share a glass of lemonade. I I yeah. would just. To sit down Absolutely. with her. And you'll. she's even cooler than you think. So. Okay, here's the thing. Alcohol was actually technically illegal in Kansas. It was prohibited in Kansas at this time. But because only men were in the government, they truly did not care about these secret taverns that were all over the towns because they probably went in themselves and enjoyed them after work. Yeah. Because this was a place for, you know, boys will be boys without the wives coming in and ruining the fun. So that's, they would all hang out in these literally no girls allowed forts with a bunch of alcohol um (laughs) no girls allowed forts (laughs) so women couldn't vote or enforce anything they they only had their voices Mm -hmm. and boy howdy did carrie use hers she spent the next 26 years going to governors and county attorneys and begging them to enforce this law she even said that one attorney quote seemed very much annoyed because I asked him to do what he swore he would do. Oh my gosh. End quote. So 26 years of just going around and talking to these people, being like, you guys, you have to do this. Yeah. That is, I, that's such an insane amount of time. However, little was done by, by the government to enforce these rules, even after 26 years. So she, now a 54-year-old woman, started praying to God for guidance. On June 5th, 1900, she had a heavenly vision. This is a quote from her. The next morning, I was awakened by a voice which seemed to me speaking in my heart these words, go to Kiowa, and my hands were lifted and thrown down on the words, I'll stand by you. The words, go to Kiowa, were spoken in a murmuring musical tone, low and soft, but I'll stand by you, was very clear, positive, and emphatic. I was impressed with a great inspiration. The interpretation was very plain. It was this: "Take something in your hands and throw at these places in Kiowa and smash them." End quote." And she was like, "Bet." <laughs> Two days later, on June 7th, she went to the town of Kiowa in Kansas, collected several rocks or smashers, as she called them, and entered Dobson's saloon. She announced, "Men." I have come to save you from your drunkard's fate and began destroying everything in the bar. She smashed whiskey bottles, mirrors, cakes, and windows. She When she ran out of rocks, she like broke chairs and grabbed anything she could get her hands on. Men cowered in the corners in complete disbelief of what was happening. And then she left that bar and began what I like to call the first ever game of Smasher Pass. So... <laughs> Carrie always chose to smash every single time. She immediately walked into another illegal bar and did the same thing. And then she walked into another and smashed everything again. By the time she destroyed her third tavern that day, a crowd had formed and was absolutely eating up the drama. Soon after this rampage, a tornado ripped through parts of Kansas, and Carrie took that as a divine sign of God being like, you go, girl. And
0: to me, that's proof that God's a woman, so incredible. I love that she was like, natural disaster must be God saying yes to me. Honestly,
1: it probably was.
0: A vibe, (laughs) truly.
1: Is that God smashing and not passing? I would never pass up an opportunity. Smash, exactly. So God's a woman. Anyway, Carrie was always clear that her attack was not against the booze in those bottles or the drunkards themselves, but against the illegal liquor traffic and the government that allowed it. So this is all a quote from her. Okay. The smashing in Kansas was intended to strike the head of this nation the hardest blow for every saloon I smashed in Kansas had a license from the head of this government, which made the head of the government more responsible than the dive keeper. I broke up three of these dives that day, broke the windows on the outside to prove that the man who rents his house is a partner also with the man who sells. If I am not a lawbreaker, your mayor and your councilman are, you must arrest one of us. For if I am not a criminal, they are. End quote. So. Oh my gosh. Yeah. She let them have it. And she just got off scot-free for that one. So, back home, the political community was stirred to action. One by one, the unlicensed taverns of Barber County, Kansas, closed. So, it actually created a little bit of change. Oh my gosh. And I'll tell you what, her fame grew faster than her arrest record. Like, she dead ass went 1900s viral. Like, homegirl (laughs) got a following. Like, she was in newspapers everywhere. And... In December of 1900, Carrie went to Wichita, Kansas, and at 8 a.m. sharp, she marched into the Carrie Hotel. There's a lot of Carries, but it's a hotel. The Carrie Hotel, one of the most luxurious hotels in the state, and destroyed the tavern inside. The drunks, I just, picturing this scene, okay. The drunks fled as Carrie shattered glass mirrors and threw a rock through a life-size oil painting of a stark naked Cleopatra. (laughs) What an image (laughs) What an image The bartender stood there in shock As she swung an iron rod And smashed all the bottles in the mahogany sideboards Then she went to a tavern Across the street and did the same thing By 8.30am After only 30 minutes She was behind bars Having done some $3,000 in damage Queen I don't know if that was calculated $3,000 then or $3,000 today I don't know Because if it was, like, back then, then that inflation rate bumps it up to, like, over, like, $100,000 worth of damage. So, I'm not sure what that $3,000 is, but either way, not great. So, Carrie was in jail for three weeks, and she was forced to sleep without a pillow on the (gasps) concrete floor as the winter drafts poured in. Yeah, not great conditions, as you would imagine. Yeah. However, she was never charged for a crime. Her husband, David embarrassed beyond belief, eventually bailed her out. He joked that she should use a hatchet next time for maximum damage. She replied, that is the most sensible thing you have said since I married you. Oh my god, I love her. <laughs> I, I, know. they divorced soon after. I mean, we, so, all, we all saw that coming. Oh, Honestly, she used him for his name, not intentionally, but that's what ended up happening, and it ended up being the best move of all time. Carrie... Oh, my God. Okay. Carrie donated her entire alimony to build a home for drunkards' wives in Kansas City. Oh, my God! The first domestic violence shelter in the state. Oh, my God! This shelter would later become a model for today's battered women's shelters. Oh, my gosh. I know. I'm like... Getting teary-eyed. She's so cool. That Uh, was incredible. I know. Okay. Like, okay. Shut up. They get it. (laughs) Fill your feelings, Allison. (laughs) No, I don't like them. Soon after, in 1901, a women's group in Enterprise, Kansas, asked her to come to their town and do the same thing to the taverns there. She marched into John Schilling's bar, her followers close behind, except this time, She had a hatchet in her hand. And Carrie did what Carrie does best. She destroyed his illegal bar, loudly berated him, and shamed him publicly from the street corner. The chivalry of the era prevented him from laying a finger on her, but that did not stop John Schilling's wife from punching her square in the face. All right, all right. Fair enough. Yeah, just catfight in the streets. Carrie went to a local butcher... Bought a chunk of raw beef and used that to ice her black eye while she continued preaching. So she didn't care. Enraged, Schilling's wife and some sex workers that he had hired came to silence her for good, basically. And they just beat the crap out of her with sticks and whips. They pulled out <gasps> her hair and they just like left her in the gutter. They, oh my god. Anyway, she was fine, but like they just beat the shit out of her. Yeah. But that didn't stop her, she she persisted. Also, she calls alcohol evil
0: spirits. How cute is that? That is incredible.
1: Isn't that like the I, best little plan works? Okay,
0: so not to be this person, but she has great branding. <laughs> you have no idea. Keep that, in, I want you
1: to keep that exact phrase in mind for this next paragraph. Okay, also real fast, I'm gonna send you a quick photo of her with a hatchet. Amazing. This is the one that I didn't want to quite spoil yet. Look at her.
0: Holy shit.
1: Yeah, she's reading from a Bible with a hatchet in her hand.
0: Okay, so how old was she when she got divorced? Roughly. Uh, she was in her 50s. I yeah,
1: 54,
0: 55. And look at her little bow. That's incredible. Mm-hmm. She's great. Okay.
1: So, Jess, you mentioned that she had her branding on point, right? I did. To ha- you have no idea because to help fund her campaign and jail bail money, mm-hmm. she started selling hatchet pins. Obsessed. Engraved on the handle was her name, Carrie A Nation, and the phrase death to rum. They were an instant bestseller. Of course like they she were. had her own merch. <laughs> Literally. And link in okay, bio, wait, me... link in bio, <laughs> <laughs> link in bio for real. Promo code Hatchet. Um, here's a uh, I'm gonna send you a picture of what the pins look like, too. Yeah, I okay. guess
0: I would give anything to have one of those. <gasps> Seriously, oh, they're so cool, they're so cute. Oh my gosh. Well, because I kind of i don't know why I thought this, but I was like picturing an enamel pin, but they didn't have those back then, so it's like a literal. We'll post a picture of this, but. They're like pin-pins. That's mm-hmm. so cool. I know. Oh my gosh. And her
1: followers were called Home Defenders, and she coined the term hatchetations in reference to destroying bars and taverns. Oh my gosh. In 1901, she founded a newsletter called The Smasher's Mail, through which she wrote sermons and other anti-alcohol content like poetry and her own autobiography. She has like a sub stack. She's really... Mm-hmm. I'm obsessed. I am obsessed. A little pyramid scheme, except this is one that I join, you know? Yeah. Yeah. When asked about her first few hatchetations, she said, quote, I felt invisible. My strength was that of a giant. God was certainly standing by me. I smashed five saloons with rocks before I ever took a hatchet. Just chef's kiss. And like, so, okay, so Carrie would drive her little horse-drawn buggy through various towns around the Midwest, and I imagine the buggy had like a little "Moms Against Drinking" bumper sticker oh on the gosh. back. Oh my gosh! Yes. <laughs> <or something>.
0: Yeah. <laughs> or like, dare. Oh or my something. gosh, that is incredible.
1: I know. She just tagged probably made those anyway so she'd preach on the corner about the evils of alcohol until she had a sizable crowd Mm -hmm. then carrie and her followers would march to governor's offices and demand them to enforce the laws that prohibited alcohol if that failed she would take matters into her own hands saying quote if you will not enforce the law i will oh and my my gosh (laughs) i know (laughs) really she is on her vigilante shit <laughs> oh she never stopped she was always on it so this is great the can the Kansas City star newspaper reported Carrie telling the crowd quote smash smash praise God women come on smash the windows I tell you ladies there is nothing as exciting as smash 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 end quote <sighs> I love her. I know. I love her so much. (laughs) I honestly, I don't think there is anything more exciting. If I got to take a baseball bat to a tavern or a Mm -hmm. bar,
0: Mm
1: -hmm. all that
0: glass. Oh, my God. That would be so fun. It's like a rage room, but like sticking it to the man. Exactly. It was like, how could you think of anything
1: better? Mm -hmm. So anyway, they did. They did all that smashing. And on one occasion. So much smashing. It's the most amount of smashing in history ever to be recorded. <laughs> and also like talk about bar hopping. Like that's what they were doing, but they were just like destroying. <laughs> like bar hopping playing smasher pass, but it was mm-hmm. not what you expected. Get in bitch, we're going smashing. <laughs> 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 okay. On one occasion, Carrie rolled a keg of whiskey onto this onto the street, opened it with her hatchet and set it on fire. all right bars and taverns she was in her 50s at this point like she was she was like for their standards 70 anyway so bars and taverns in kansas and the surrounding states obviously knew her name well yeah this is so funny signs signs could be seen in the windows of these bars reading quote all nations welcome except carrie
0: oh (laughs) my god (laughs) Her last name, really, her, her ex-husband really was like, I'm going to give you nothing, but I am going to give you the best last name I can possibly give you. So your name is literally Carrie A Nation? That like, is.
1: She couldn't have asked for a better name for this, truly, um, except for maybe Fuck the Man. That would also be a great name for her. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. They also sold their own spin-off hatchet pins that said the same thing. All nations welcome, but Carrie. Of course. Yeah. But she obviously didn't care. And no. she was not intimidated by these men. In fact, the only thing Carrie lacked in life was having a single fuck to give. She said, quote, no man. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Every time you quote her, I just like get a little titillated.
1: <laughs> I, I. it was, part of this is so long as I kept trying to incorporate as many quotes from her as possible because they're so good. Okay. Quote. No man who drank or smoked could ever come nearer to me than a telephone. I'd say, I won't let you, you nicotine-soaked, beer-besmeared, whiskey-greased, red-eyed devil, talk to me face-to-face.
0: Oh <laughs> my Ooh. god, she is just... She really says, fuck it, we ball. Like, fuck, fuck it, it, we, we hatch it. <laughs>
1: Fuck it, we smash.
0: That doesn't
1: So, like just you nicotine soaked, beer besmeared, whiskey greased, red-eyed devil. I want that on a shirt. If we ever make merch, can that Mm -hmm. be one of the Mm -hmm. one of the things on it? Okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. So (laughs) percent Carrie used her newfound platform to advocate for temperance, but also to help the black community. She often donated her lecture proceeds to the Black African Methodist Episcopal Church, and when she spoke at churches that denied Blacks, she demanded that all be admitted entry. She was even bailed out of jail by a Black politician and bar owner, Nick Childs, who also helped her publish the newsletter, The Smasher's Mail. Oh my god! So they had her back, and she had theirs throughout this whole thing, and Literally, a black politician, a bar owner, like, bailed her out of jail and, like, sponsored her newspaper. That's incredible. Incredible. So, over the next 10 years, Carrie A. Nation was arrested 32 separate times.
0: I was going to ask how many times did she get arrested, but that's incredible.
1: Honestly, not as many as I thought. Um, She got away with a lot of them. That's the thing. She really did. Like she got away with like she didn't get arrested every time, so I don't know how many like taverns she smashed, but there were multiple smashings in each round, so like hundreds. Um, (laughs) so much damage, so much property damage. Okay, once she was, (laughs) this once she was apprehended inside the U.S. Capitol after berating senators for quote representing the interests of the brewers and distillers over their own. Constituents. Yeah. Did I say that right? You did. Okay. The set, like senators. The- and the, in the, she had, she was arrested inside the US Capitol. I, I love her so much. It hurts. Okay. She tore up the country. Like she, and tore up the country almost like a politician. She tore up the country, preaching temperance and smashing bars and even made an appearance in London. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Over the years, she was beaten, chased through the streets, pelted with rotten eggs, and hit over the head with a chair by an angry bartender. However, she successfully closed many bars and helped convince several states to outlaw alcohol. She only stopped when her health started to decline. And near the end of her life, Carrie moved to Eureka Springs, Arkansas, where she founded the home known as Hatchet Hall. Here, she would harbor impoverished elderly, women fleeing abusive husbands, and mothers and their children.
0: Oh my gosh! Oh God! Oh my gosh! Ew, 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 ew. <laughs> she would also homeschool the
1: kids, so they like had an education. Oh
0: my gosh, Allison! <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why this is getting me so much. Allison gets uh, for two things: shots and emotions. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, definitely not the other thing. Okay,
0: that is, this is the first time I've cried on this podcast, here we go. So, oh my gosh. I can't think of a worthier person to, like, cry for, though. I know,
1: I, it's just, it's, it's just thinking about, like, when you think about suffragettes or, like, mm-hmm. people back then that had to fight, mm-hmm. and it, it's also Martin Luther King Day, Happy Martin Luther King Day, by the mm-hmm. way, mm-hmm. and I, when you think about what they had to go through, it, anyway, it just... Mm-hmm. She was helping women when that what well, that wasn't even on the radar for anybody else. So during a speech in January of 1911, Carrie proclaimed, I have done what I could and collapsed into a coma. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. She was taken to a hospital in Leavensworth, Kansas, where she passed away on June 9th at the age of 64. So she was, like, pretty young. Mm-hmm. So... Eight years later, in 1919, prohibition went into effect and alcohol was banned throughout the entire country. Obviously, like, that didn't last, but she missed being able to see that. Mm -hmm. One year after that, in 1920, women were given the right to vote. Carrie helped...
0: (laughs) Ew! Shut up, Jess. I'm not saying anything, (laughs) bitch. Okay. (laughs) Okay, so...
1: (coughs) Oh, (laughs) am a fucking mess. All right. (coughs) Carrie helped... I'm sorry. Okay, so and then uh, she also missed women getting the right to vote in 1920. Carrie helped pave the way for both of these groundbreaking historic amendments. And again, while the alcohol one didn't last, it had a profound Mm -hmm. effect on the country and women... Have the right to vote, which also I think might have a profound effect on the country. Know. Uh, you know, maybe you know, um, half of the people in the country right. are being allowed to vote. Sure, 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 sure. <laughs> yeah. All right. So she helped pave the way for both of these things to happen. And Carrie is buried in Belton, Missouri, and her gravestone reads her name, Carrie A. Nation, and the quote, "Faithful to the cause, she hath done what she could." Shut. Nation's. Up. <laughs> No, I know. Nation's Home in Medicine Lodge, Kansas was declared a U.S. National Historic Landmark in 1976. Okay, I didn't put this in here because this was already a full-blown college essay, but so she founded the Women's Christian Temperance Union. Yeah. When Carrie died, she didn't have a marked grave forever until the Women's Christian Temperance Union. Funded them to get her that headstone that read oh my that quote,
0: gosh.
1: and they're also the ones that bought the bought her old home in the 1950s and had it declared a U.S. National Historic Landmark in 1975. Like the same union that she f- <laughs> <laughs> the same like the same union that she founded had her back after she was dead. Like, oh my god,
0: oh, Jesus Christ. Ew, ew.
1: okay <laughs> wow. um so a little creek just across the street from Hatchet Hall in Eureka Springs is also named after her and in July 2018 a life-sized bronze statue of Carrie was erected in front of the Eaton Hotel which was that used to be the Carrie Hotel mm-hmm. the location of her raid in Wichita Kansas you know where she destroyed mm-hmm. Cleopatra's naked body mm-hmm. iconic I okay. um, forget? Yeah, yeah. There's even a cocktail club in Boston called Carrie Nation with the eye being a hatchet. She probably would have hated that. I mean, it's kind of funny. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's like her name is obviously used in propaganda all around today. Of course. Because of this. And I'm th- I, this is my last paragraph, swear to god. In life and after death, Carrie A Nation's name was and still is being dragged through the mud. People forget about her activism and paint her as a crazed menopausal woman smashing taverns. Generations of writers and historians—almost all of them were men, by the way—dismissed her as insane, or okay, I'm just mad, um, or as a quote demented woman, or quote psychotic from an early age. And in reference to her mother and daughter both having mental illness. They said she suffered from a, quote, personal history of disease and convulsion and a, quote, well-defined strain of madness. Oh, my God. Mm Mm-hmm. So that's part of the reason why I focus so heavily on her accomplishments and her activism. Because when I first started researching this, I was like, this is hysterical, this old lady going in and busting up bars. Yeah. I had no idea what she had actually done and what her legacy truly Mm -hmm. is like basically creating the first battered woman shelter. Yeah. And like in the 1800s and early 1900s donating to help black people have their own voice and their own rights. And yeah. And okay. Let me shut up and just finish. Okay. So in reality, she was an activist and feminist living in a time where women were nothing more than property of their husbands with little to no rights. Carrie is the embodiment of the mantra, well behaved women rarely make history. Oh. When asked why, okay. When asked what her motivations were, Carrie simply said, quote, You wouldn't give me the vote, so I had to use a rock. <gasps> oh my God. Oh my God. I think that's my favorite of the quotes. Yeah. Oh my God. That's the story of Carrie a Nation. Carrie a Nation.
0: Wow that was incredible
1: yeah and it's i wish more of her uh story was told like this where it doesn't it never mentions people never know that she fought for 26 years Mm -hmm. kindly and respectfully with a voice and you know yeah like peaceful protests basically for 26 years yeah like things don't change until people force them to change yeah and a lot of times that means that people have to like get violent with mm-hmm. things. And she was never she never attacked a person. She was attacking the man, the money, yeah. the whiskey, the whole time. Mm-hmm. And She had like good reasons
0: for her to like
1: want to ban
0: alcohol. No, I get it. I truly
1: get it. Yeah.
0: Anyway. I think it's also a really great example. Um, and I don't know if I have the words to do this like sentence justice, but I'm gonna try. It's also a great example of like there's a lot of times where it's it's particularly in like anthrop anthropology and like history, it's like we have to view people within the Allison, help me! Help me! What What do you call it when you're like viewing a oh. culture within like oh, its time cultural, frame? Cultural relativism. Yes, exactly. However, I do think that this is a great example of like people of someone understanding that things are wrong, even though it's socially acceptable. Like mm-hmm. her, her acceptance of black people and her support of black people in a time where it was very unpopular to do that, and also her absolute insane like desire to make sure that women who weren't always treated as like actual human beings had a place, like a safe place to go when they were Mm -hmm. hurt by their husbands when divorce wasn't an option and her also like strong desire to have the vote and to take matters into her own hands despite being culturally raised let men do the talking is just like a fantastic example of like if you want to you will and
1: Like, you're absolutely right. And one of the things I love is I've never researched somebody with as many iconic quotes as her. Mm -hmm. I have a few honorable mentions if you want to hear. Listen, give them to me. Okay. I'll end on the one that I think is most relevant to what you said. So I'll start with this one. This, I cried laughing when I heard this because it is so true. So she described herself as, quote, a bulldog running along at the feet of Jesus, barking at what he doesn't like and oh, and but she like up. described herself as like a bulldog which is like very honest of her oh, <laughs> like, I no, mean, like, she frankly wasn't, she wasn't beating around the bush no. she knew what she was doing like, oh my god like, barking at what jesus doesn't like just okay and one of my favorites is to a priest who smoked. she said what a shame for a man to dress like a saint and smell like a devil oh my god <laughs> mm-hmm. incredible uh huh. And I will end on one of her really like kind of touching ones that makes you kind of look inward. But the success of life, the formation of character, is in proportion to the courage one has to say to oneself, Thou shalt not. Oh. Wow. Anyway, I'm going to shut up now that
0: I have just rattled on for about full 45 minutes oh I was here for it I loved every minute of that thank you so much that was incredible that was the most touching story I've ever told I don't know why I I... just 30 second sidebar for just a moment I loved this topic I had so much fun researching mine and Mm -hmm. it sounds like you had so much fun researching yours and I don't know what it was but something about this topic really just like was so fun All right, we've we've re-upped on the cocktail, the mocktail, I should say. Um, this one is a Earl Grey simple syrup with tonic water and some oh lavender bitters. Girl! Making a little London Fog mocktail. That's incredible. Wow. We hope. We'll find out if it tastes good. <laughs> That's lovely. She's Next time a fan. you come over, I'm going to have to make you one of these.
1: I would love that. I would definitely love that after um, I am now a uh, part of the temperance movement after learning about Carrie. So I would love to learn a mocktail
0: from you. Okay. So fabulous. All right, Allison. All right. Take I me away. am going to take you in such an opposite direction. Yes. <laughs> what we just talked about. They do have two things in common. The person I'm going to talk about also got arrested in Congress. Oh, so that's a fun connection that I discovered halfway through. But today, my dear friend, I'm going to give you the riveting history of one George Cassidy, better known to his friends in Congress as the man in the green hat. George was, shall we say, DC's premier liquor supplier to the stars of Congress for 10 of the 13 years of Prohibition. So, oh, so he was the inside man. Oh, so he was the inside man. He was doing the absolute opposite of what Carrie would have wanted him to do. But he had pretty good reason. And again, we're going to blame the government for it. So let's get into it. First things first. Allison, have you ever been to Washington, D.C.? No. Me neither. I'm actually going in March. And I'm excited to see. I'm going to be there right at the tail beginning of when apparently the trees all blossom. So I'm really excited to see the cherry blossoms and all the corporate hypocrisy and greed Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. all the good, all the good things. But if I went and visited about 100 years ago, obviously a lot of things would be different about the city, but one thing would still be the same. And that is politicians just doing whatever the hell they want. Laws be damned. Laws be damned. (laughs) So in the late 1910s. D.C. was the domestic heart of the American involvement in World War I. Woodrow Wilson was president for the majority of the decade, and the progressive movement was in full swing in Congress. D.C. was no exception to the country's push for temperance, and the local government was quick to kill any of the fun in the town by instituting prohibition laws three full years before the federal ruling. You'd think that the people putting these laws into place would abide by them, but our good friend George Cassidy said it best with, in his recollections of the time, quote, many people would think that the dome of the Capitol would have a sobering influence on anyone, no matter what his personal habits and beliefs might be. From my experience, however, the reverse was true, end quote. Mm. George is not quite at Carrie's level, but he does have some banging quotes. So, Oh, no, I'm here for it. <laughs> When temperance descended upon the city, more than 2,000 speakeasies discreetly opened their doors, offering drinks to government patrons in the know and funneling literal tons of bottles of rum and whiskey into town through rum runners. Harold Gray, a D.C. resident of the time, said, quote, we hardly knew there was a prohibition law. We'd just sit in the parlor of a man's apartment and have a drink. It was mostly whiskey, and he served it in a coffee cup in case the police came in. It would look like we were just having a social, end quote. The country's lawmakers in both the House and the Senate had one thing in common through each session, an abundance of liquor salesmen doing business in the halls, approximately 500 of them that they know of. Damn. Imagine, if you will, Allison, that you're a young senator living Mm. in D.C. for the first time, Mm -hmm. looking for something to take a little edge off as the hustle and bustle starts to stress you out. Mm -hmm. You ask a more senior congressman how to get a bottle of the good stuff. All he says back is, quote, look for the green hat. Confused, you watch the halls for anyone wearing a green hat. Finally, you see a man in a dapper green felt hat. You approach him and he asks if you need anything. You say yes and take him into an office. He pulls an unmarked bottle of amber liquid from his briefcase. And after a brief exchange of cash, George Cassidy, owner of the green hat, bids you adieu. You see him nod to a few fellow congressmen on his way down the hall.
1: Ooh I feel like this is the in introduction to like a game of clue. Like it's Honestly, the way it, the way you wrote it, the way like it sounds like a British mystery about to happen. I don't know why, but I love they this
0: could do a really fun like HBO limited series on this guy, like and his little dealings in Congress. I That's as I was not. writing this, I was like, this is kind of iconic. I'm it here is. for it. Yeah. But, anywho. Cassidy, Congress's most well-known rum runner, was born on April 12, 1892, in Wheeling, West Virginia. He was a World War I war veteran and founder of the Irish War Veterans Association. Upon his return from the Great War, he found himself jobless and in desperate need of cash for his family because he no longer qualified for his pre-war job due to injury. In the summer of 1920, three years after D.C. had instituted their ban on booze, a friend asked him to run two bottles of booze to members of the House. After this deal, the same friend reportedly said to Cassidy, quote, liquor on the Capitol Hill was bringing better prices than anywhere in Washington and that a living could be made supplying that demand, end quote. So basically, this guy came home from serving in the literal military, helping win the like first world war. And he comes back, and his previous job is like, hey, sorry, you don't qualify anymore. And the government's like, hey, I can't do anything for you. And he can't get a job. And so he literally was like, well, I have to feed my family. And this is how he did it. That's so fucked up. Not like what he did, but like... No, the, that's and that's the thing, and why I think that our friend Kerry would probably be a little bit less angry at him is that he was doing it to feed his family, mm-hmm. and he actually was very moral about it, which we'll get into. But, anyhow, George started small, with a select few members of the House of Representatives. His clientele began to grow by word of mouth amongst reps from the same state or nearby states. It wasn't long until he expanded his network into the Senate as well. On a typical day, Cassidy guessed he delivered 20 to 25 bottles across both organizations in a signature leather briefcase. He said, quote, the House office building got so it seemed like a home to me. I knew every nook and corner in it. The fact that the Capitol Police and the open door guards were appointed by members of Congress seemed to assure me of protection and in getting into the building End quote the Capitol police knew him by sight and would let him in and out with no question with no questions asked any time of day we love that for him so the police People. would get it would run on it too oh yeah absolutely everybody was in on it and they and if they weren't in on it he was around so often and was so well liked that they were like oh it's just george like george he just, works here
1: right right yeah. george is just
0: here No, like, no questions. I love that. He got his stock of alcohol from runners in New York City and Philadelphia. He'd take train rides to both cities and two empty suitcases, only to return the next day with 40 or so quarts of alcohol in both. On one such trip, a fellow passenger stopped him and said, quote, Say, buddy, your clothes are leaking, after a (laughs) bottle in his pocket came unstoppered. so he was literally just like any pocket any bag he was like stuffing it full oh, that guy knew he was like give me a bottle oh and I yeah won't say shit that's so funny oh absolutely
1: hey buddy hey hey champ hey you got you're a little leaking got a little thing in your pocket there huh <laughs> oh that made it sound gross Oh, God. <laughs> Sorry. Well, we're going to
0: uh, Moving on. So as his clientele grew to an estimated two-thirds of the people working in both buildings, oh. a small problem sprung up. He couldn't bring in enough bottles in one go to fill all of his orders without raising suspicion. After a few disgruntled customers complained about his wait times, an overly helpful Midwestern senator who was never named reportedly said to Cassidy, quote, George, did it ever occur to you it would be easier to bring in larger lots and distribute it from a base of operations from the inside? End quote. Come again? When I tell you, when I tell you they gave this man keys to his own office in the basement of the House of Reps, I am not lying. I am blown away. They literally let him set up shop so they could get their illegal booze faster. Like, he just, like, had his own office. (laughs) It's so corrupt, but it's so funny. Oh, my God. (laughs) The thing about this type of corruption is, like, they're breaking the law that they put into place, and yes, in order to put into in temperance, there's like some sort of two-thirds majority law. So like the majority of these people had voted in favor of it, and it's kind of like a victimless crime, just a tiny bit because they're the ones drinking it themselves. But it's just so the irony is so intense. But it, yeah, I know it's so hypocritical. It's. So hypocritical. So hypocritical. But our George, our, our friend George had to feed his family. So Oh, no,
1: I'm not mad at George. I mean, he is getting like, it's like silver platter. Mm-hmm. His mm-hmm. entire future is being handed to him. I am yeah. here for this.
0: And he got started cushy. because of them. Like it. Yeah. He is Listen, simply a man of circumstance. His friend was right. If there's a demand, he just rose to beat that demand. So some reports that I read said representatives would go hang out in his office while they waited for votes to finish on the floor. The audacity is just incredible. Anyway, his system was fairly,
1: they hung out in his office, like drinking.
0: Yes. They would go to his office and play cards and drink while like other senators or other house of reps were casting votes for different things, which like, as we know, having just watched the speaker of the house, whole debacle go down that take it takes a long time so they were just like down there having he had snacks he had games he really was like he was really like i am gonna make this a full-bodied service and he was a really personable guy and just made friends with everybody so they would just go hang out the vibe it was great and you know, he he had a basement office, so it was easy to go hide in there. He really said man cave. Yes, absolutely. We love and hate the audacity. <laughs> I mean, it, truly, it's very entertaining. So, his system was pretty fa- foolproof in the days before stringent search rules in these buildings people entering the house of representatives were never searched until their departure because they had a whole thing with congressmen had to be searched before they left to make sure they weren't taking any documents out mm-hmm. so he only got searched when he left and because he sold everything he brought in he always left empty-handed with a fatter wallet so that was his only tell was that he would always leave with more money than he came in with but who's going to question that so it really mm-hmm. worked out in his in his favor um so his storefront established good rapport with most of the men working in the building and cash coming out of both ends cassidy spent five years sitting pretty selling his wares over the years he'd get the occasional raid on his house and have supply issues for a bit but he never got into any true trouble until 1925 with apparently four out of f- Every five congressmen drinking, despite the temperance law they had enacted, the sober lawmakers finally had enough. Cassidy's, oh, my God. I know. I know. Cassidy's flaunting finally got the best of him, and he was arrested for the first time with his classic briefcase full of liquor and wearing his signature green hat by a Capitol policeman. The Speaker of the House at the time, Nicholas Longworth, who sounds like he's just a hoot and holler at parties, passed a singular rule banning Cassidy outright from entering the House office building. He was released shortly after his arrest, and he simply walked two blocks north and set up a similar shop in the Senate building. <laughs> oh, as one does. Yeah. He was sure. really like, copy paste. Why not? Yeah, it copy, worked here. <laughs> <paste>. <laughs> Absolutely. He had gained notoriety after his first arrest as the press began to report on the so-called, quote, green hat incident. But his business still ran perfectly well in his new era of government. In later accounts, he would say he actually preferred senators to representatives because of their discretion. They'd send secretaries for their alcohol instead of themselves, and they flaunted it much less than their neighbors had by hiding the bottles instead of displaying them in plain sight. One senator allegedly hid his alcohol next to volumes of the literal congressional record on a bookshelf. (laughs) Cassidy wrote about the senator, quote, he never mentioned liquor to me, but occasionally he would say he could use some new reading matter. The customer always referred to me as his librarian, end quote.
1: (laughs) What? They might as well just like hollow out the Declaration of Independence to put a flask inside. I mean, it's 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 a, it's a scroll, granted, but
0: <laughs> I was gonna say, Nicolas Cage would have some
1: questions. <laughs> He'd be like, "Uh, this is a lot harder to steal." Um, yeah, no, that is insane. Like the Constitution, <laughs> they might as well have just
0: like cut out a hole in the yes. Constitution and just like put a flask inside, basically. So after another five years of good business in the Senate building, Cassidy finally flew too close to the sun. In November of 1929, the police raided his home once again and discovered 266 quarts of high-value liquor. The news of this raid made its way to the Vice President, Charles Curtis, another man i definitely try to avoid at a party, and the VP... Greenlit a plan to end Cassidy's business once and for all. With the help of a few Senate employees sympathetic to the temperance cause, they set up a sting operation using an undercover agent by the name of Roger Butts. No, I'm not <laughs> kidding. That is his name. It is spelled B-U-T-T-S. Oh, he's really buttoned into things, isn't he? Truly, there is a plethora of jokes. Oh, that we can so make. many.
1: It's, it's great. It's coming out my butt, you know?
0: It's just so many. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. That's my last one. Okay. Butts was placed in the Senate stationary room where Cassidy regularly went to make calls to contact clients. Cassidy recalled quickly becoming suspicious of Butts and began referring to him as, quote, the dry spy amongst friends, which is honestly a much better name. If my name was Roger Butts, I'd be like, give me a moniker right now. Dry spy it is, please. <laughs> Dry spy. Despite his best efforts and even an outfit change from wearing green hats to tan hats for a while, Cassidy Ooh. fell prey to a trap order on February eighteenth, nineteen thirty. Day before your birthday and a it's couple of years. Still in Aquarius years. Season, so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Under the guise of a parking lot delivery to a regular customer, Prohibition agents arrested Cassidy with six bottles of gin and managed to confiscate his, quote, little black book of high-profile clients. Despite numerous demands of senators at the time to prove their innocence, the contents of the book were never published publicly because there were so many senators' (sighs) names in it that they... No, no, I like, I could not find anywhere. I read, I researched more for this story than I think I've ever researched for any of our other stories. I literally almost bought a $50 subscription t- to a newspaper archive so I could figure out where this black book went. Could oh, we not find any. It just, they just, it, In every article I read it just said that it was never published publicly. So if
1: we looked up high profile senators from like nineteen fifteen to nineteen thirty, yeah. There would honestly be like most of them.
0: Two thirds of them would have been in his book.
1: That's insane. Do you know where he was getting the
0: liquor from? Like it wasn't moonshine, like it was actually um, so he was getting it from rum runners in New York and Philadelphia where there were ports. And Got so it. I wasn't I'm not sure like where I know that it wasn't moonshine, like it was like high end, like it was like gin, whiskey, rum, like the kind of the bigger alcohol alcohols at the time, but I think he was going to port cities for a reason. Got it. So he okay. can get like uh, they were coming in from like ships overseas. Yeah. Or they were coming from like other kind like Canada or Mexico and like right. all that good stuff. So Cassidy served 18 months in prison for distributing and profiting off of spirits and vowed at the end of his sentence to cease all bootlegging activities. What's great is he actually never served a single night in jail. They let him just check into jail every morning like it was work and then leave at the end of the day. Oh my god. So he never spent a night in jail for his crimes. <laughs> Homeboy just got detention. Yes, he literally got a like detention for 18 months. During this time, he got his revenge by releasing a series of five exposé articles in the Washington Post recounting his story in lurid detail. He literally, he was like, I'll sell my story. Let's do it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he refrained from revealing the names of his lawmaking customers but said, quote, Some of them I found were mighty good fellows and others not so good, but I learned right off the bat that when it comes to eating, drinking, and having a good time in general, they are as human as other folks. Referring to congressmen. His final article came out a week before the midterm election and caused aggressive losses for politicians still clinging to the dry side. His expose had a direct effect on the repeal of the 18th Amendment. His son, Frederick, in a memorial article about his father said, quote, there's a lesson here that could be learned, but we seem to have never learned it. That you can't say one thing and do another. If you want to make a moral stand, then you have to live with that moral stand. Personally, I see a lot of hypocrisy in a lot of our laws. End quote. Mm-hmm. Damn. Yeah. After his prison sentence came to an end, Cassidy went on to work in a shoe factory and then a few hotels before dying in 1967. Throughout it all, his favorite alcoholic drink was a six-pack of yingling, which is the most East Coast thing I've ever heard. <laughs> yingling? Yes. Yes. It's like the like New England beer of choice. Brendan's friend Lucas loves them. Oh, are you locked in? I'm so sorry. One moment. Oh, My cat good. has decided to finally make an appearance. Of course.
1: Oh, I know what beer you're talking about. I just realized I've never put in an effort to read the name before <laughs> because it's in like aggressive
0: cursive. mm mm-hmm. cursive. And... Mm-hmm. I was going to say. Yeah. I've never just... <laughs> If you were living it. in Boston, I figured that you probably would have had it at least once. But you know what I read it as? Youngling. Youngling. Yeah. Ewingling. The only reason I know how it's pronounced is because Brendan's friend Lucas loves it. Yeah. Got it. <laughs> anyway. Cool. There are now several bars in the D.C. area named for Cassidy and his dry spy, as well as a line of gin called Green Hat Gin. What? a lovely legacy to leave on his town. And with that, my friend, is the story of the man in the green hat who boozed up Washington for 10 years. That was amazing. I loved that story. Kind of fun. I think there's like... It's it's pretty low stakes, which I thought was kind of fun. And the other thing that I really liked about him, I didn't feature this quote, and I am going to butcher it because I don't have it in front of me, but he also... Had this whole thing that I really liked where in his in one of his articles, um, in one of the five articles that he wrote, he talked about how he never got rich off of this. He just had enough to live comfortably. And he was like, I had the opportunity to make a lot more money than I did. But because that would have involved working with mobsters beyond just buying the supply, right. I wouldn't do it. And because, like, that's that he's like, I had a moral line and I wasn't going to get oh, involved yeah. with them. I was just going to make money off of these already rich assholes, basically. I mean, he probably would have gotten, like, way more fucked over. Oh, had he yeah. He actually gotten with the mob. Like, he, oh, he, yeah. made he the could right have died. Choice. Like, all these things. And because this whole thing, he's like, I'm just trying to feed my family. I'm just oh, trying yeah. to pay the rent. Oh, yeah. You know, war veteran over here, just, like, doing his best. So I just, like, thought that it was kind of a really funny like, stick it to the man in his own way of, like, if you guys aren't going to give me a job when, or, like, give me job opportunities when I come home from lit- fighting your war, yeah, I'm going to make money off of you being, like, hypocrites. Yeah, absolutely. So. I mean,
1: yeah. And did, did him not having to actually serve a full sentence in prison, just being able to, like, just get detention have to do with the senators, like, voting for him to have, like, a less
0: bad? no. So what when I was actually doing the intro paragraph or like the intro for this um, and I did like the prohibition little thing, I read a lot about how unenforceable prohibition laws were because it was so expensive to basically prove that all these illegal activities were happening even if they had, like, more concrete evidence than other cases, they they most of the time wouldn't prosecute to the full letter of the law, because it was so much money to do so. Because yeah. if you think about it, if you're gonna put everyone who was drinking in D.C. in jail for drinking, your prisons can't handle that. And so, and then I think there's also, like, it's like the classic thing of, like, violent crime versus non-violent crime, and it probably very much helped that he had been working in Congress and not just, like, selling it at a speakeasy. But for the most part, that's – I I think I mentioned in the first part that in Chicago they had 7,000 arrests but only 17 convictions that's in insane. the time of prohibition. And I think that's a good example of, like, this was just so widespread and unenforceable that there were points where they just kind of threw their hands up. So. I also love that he was, like, I'm just going to throw these articles out the week before midterms and just watch y'all scramble because he was in a national newspaper. So similar to our friend Carrie, he also was viral and I, there's so, they have like monuments to this guy in so many bars in DC and he's like a a known figure. The Senate website has a memorial page for him. Like I got some of my, one of my sources was literally had in the URL (laughs) Senate.org. That's great because, honestly, people are remembered if they stick it to the man. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's so – his in the article with his son, his son mentioned that his dad was, like, a very well-dressed man and he never went anywhere without his green hat. So when he had to switch to tan hats, like, his kids made fun of him for it because they were like, oh, dad, you're not wearing the green (laughs) hat anymore. Um and the article that I read with his son was like came out in the 70s. And he was like, even if you saw him now in his green hat, despite the fact that it was like older, you'd still be like, oh, what a dapper man. Oh, <laughs> which I oh, love. His kids love him. His his son's article was so fun to read because his son was like, yeah, he just like he, he like, you know, and he just hung out. And do you want to like give a shout out to this guy, like his name in the article that you read? If people want to check it out. This article is called Congress Winks at Prohibition and Bootleggers Tell by John Kelly. Um, and that was also in the Washington Post. Okay. And it was really fun. So, anyway, I think that I am going to try and go when I go to DC. I really want to try and go to the Dry Spy Bar. Yeah, do they it. have like a memorial wall for him? And if I do, I'll take a picture. Yes, that would be amazing. I really want you to go, too. Anyway, thank you so much for coming on
1: this journey of temperance and prohibition with us. Yeah, There are probably just like, hundreds and mm-hmm. thousands of more amazing, incredible stories like the ones we told that we just don't know about. So if any of you guys know any other icons from back then, mm-hmm. please let
0: us know because I yeah. this was something I very much enjoyed. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. Allison, if you ever find yourself in Vegas... Anytime time in the near future, you should go to the Mob Museum. Oh, of course. I have a few museums I want to check out there. It has a whole thing on, like, mobsters in the Prohibition era and, like, how Vegas was one of the stops. It was really fascinating. Anyway, but to echo Allison's sentiment, if you have any stories, let us know. We'd love to hear all about them. And uh, next week, speaking of stories, we'll be highlighting y'all's drunk stories so watch for that coming up and we're really excited to hear all of the reasons why you guys don't want to drink anymore after embarrassing the hell out of yourselves so or maybe you want to drink more to forget about it so just Mm. either way we're here for that story are you a george or are you a Carrie? these are the questions are you
1: carrying a nation or are you georgian (laughs) You know.
0: all right guys (sighs) okay see you next week bye bye